We approach today our last week in this series in 1 Timothy. We find ourselves in 1 Timothy chapter 6. Take your Bibles and turn there, would you? 1 Timothy chapter 6. And we're looking at the last two verses of this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy. This letter that I believe answers in a lot of ways the got church question. We've been asking that that question for several weeks. We've looked at the church's leaders. We've looked at uh, the church's truth and its doctrine. The church's responsibility to widows and different topics. You can find them in our our workbook we uh, we produced a few weeks back, and which many of you have worked through. It's good to see so many copies, kind of dog-eared and and wrinkled. That was neat to see, and it's helped us walk through First Timothy as we've answered the question: Got church? He comes to the very end of this last chapter and he kind of gives this rallying um, coach's call to his true son in the faith. And I like the way he begins. He begins with Timothy's name. Look with me at 1 Timothy 6, verse 20. It's almost as if after going through a number of things he wanted Timothy to know, he now kind of has this last uh, huddle with Timothy. And you can kind of, if you've played sports, you kind of have this picture that. You know, just before the last part of the game, the coach calls timeout. He kind of huddles you together and he kind of gives you last instructions, some last minute ideas. And they're usually repeated things from the, the, the game plan, aren't they? There's nothing really new a lot of times. But he kind of reviews them and kind of goes over them. That's kind of what's happening here. Paul doesn't really give a lot of new information, but he kind of re emphasizes, he reinforces some repeated thoughts. Let's see what those are. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 20. Paul says, Timothy, guard what has been entrusted to your care. He then says, turn away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in so doing have wandered from the faith. Do you see two key words in these two verses? He says to guard, and then he says to turn away. Timothy, here's the end of this book, this letter I've written you, and there's really nothing new to do. Just keep doing what I've talked about in these first five and a half chapters. Guard what you've been given, this entrustment, and turn away from things that are false. Now, as you read those two repeated commands, a natural question occurs, and it should occur in your mind. What was entrusted to Timothy? I mean, you read these verses, and you're like, okay... Timothy, guard what's entrusted and turn away from things that are, aren't true. But what was entrusted to Timothy? That's a good question. I think the answer is the truth. Timothy was entrusted to guard the truth. Let me show you some verses that would give some real light to this answer. Lest you think I'm just making this up and picking some answer out of thin air. I want to show you a few places where Paul really emphasizes the need for Timothy to guard and protect what has been passed down to him, specifically the truth, and especially the truth as it relates to the gospel. Look with me, first of all, at 1 Timothy 3.15. Just turn back one page to a previous chapter in this book. 1 Timothy 3.15. Look what Paul says here is is the primary job of the church. What is it that we're upholding and, and supporting? What are we a pillar of? We talked about this several weeks ago. He says in verse 15 that the church is the pillar and foundation of what? The truth. 
There Paul makes the case that the primary thing the church is holding up, we're showcasing God's truth. Look with me at 2 Timothy 2.15. Just turn to the next letter that Paul wrote to his son in the faith. A much more personal letter, I might add. Verse 15, he says this to Timothy. He says that you are to do your best to present yourself to God as one approved. And in that simple phrase, we know whose smile we're really after. Amen? And that's God. He says, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly handles what? The word of truth. Timothy's job was to make sure that the truth was handled right. Not to misrepresent it, not to teach it falsely, but to handle it accurately. That was one of his main primary duties. Look back also at chapter 1 of 2 Timothy. Here is even a more clear understanding of, of Timothy's role in guarding the truth. 2 Timothy chapter 1, about verses 13 and 14. The Bible says here, and Paul writes to Timothy, What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. Speaking there of doctrine or hygienic teaching is the word for sound. Wholesome words. He says, you keep this pattern with faith and love in Christ Jesus. And then, verse 14, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. I think he's referencing the sound teaching that he was given. This pattern of wholesome doctrine that, that was to be the, the source of nourishment for the church. That's what he was to guard. One more verse I want to show you. First Thessalonians. Look there. Turn back a little bit. Here Paul lays out in chapter 2 much of the same, but I'm just building a case and laying some strong groundwork for the answer to the question. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Uh, this is probably my favorite chapter in all the Bible. And it's just a wonderful description of real ministry. He says in verse 4, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God, now watch this, to be entrusted with the gospel. Now see, folks, you've got to understand something. Much like in today's society when the gospel, the truth, is under attack, folks are trying to, to deny it uh, propositional truth. They're trying to say that you can't really know for sure because it's a personal thing. And they're trying to take away from things that are uh, clearly stated as true in all times from God's Word. That was going on not just in our day. That, go, that went on in Paul's day. Postmodernism, which has kind of captured lots of folks' attention, while some of it may be new, there may be some new words we describe it with, the truth is it's been around since the first century. Folks have always been trying to attack the truth and change it, subvert it, uh, cause it not to really be what it is. And that's why Timothy's charge was to guard the truth. One more scripture to bring to your mind. Don't turn there. But I find it interesting that Paul, in his 1 Corinthians letter, chapter 15, he says that he wanted to remind them about what was passed down. And that was this, that Christ died for our sins, was buried and rose again, and that He ascended. He says, this is the gospel by which you're saved. He wants to remind them. He said, this is called first importance. As you read the New Testament, one thing stands out. The very first century church was, was tasked with this charge of not letting the truth of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection be compromised. And it started early. The Gnostics were right on hand, weren't they? And they started in early in the first century to try to change the truth. And it's continued ever since. And just like Paul encouraged Timothy, guard the truth. So we today, 
at least in an applicational way, understand these verses to mean something very clear to us. We must guard what's been entrusted to us, the truth of the gospel. It can't change or be muddied with or messed with or or fuzzied. It must always be a clear and and, um, uh, crystal-like call. I thought of this phrase this week. It's got to be Windex clear, you know. The kind of stuff that there's no doubt what it looks like and what it is. That Jesus Christ is the only way for men and women to be made right with God. And by the way, that is under attack. It seems as if every way anybody thinks of can work to get folks to heaven. I'm amazed at the latest things I hear on different news stations and I read in periodicals that you think, well, who thought of that? And if truth is not objective, if there's not, if there's not a standard, God's Word, then I guess anyone can think of their own way and it can count. The problem is, they're not true and they're false. They're errors, errors. What we're called to do is to guard the truth that Jesus Christ is the one and only way. Now, now listen for a second. Let me just be very transparent with you. I know that that means there's some bad news. It means that there is none righteous, no, not one. In the words of the prophet of the Old Testament. It means that we've all tried to find our own way. It means that no one seeks after God. You're right. That's bad news. But instead of trying to change the bad news, which is what our culture does, we don't like the bad news, so let's just try to change it to where no one really needs a Savior, and then that way we change the truth. Instead of changing the bad news, why don't we just realize that there's an answer for the bad news? It's called the gospel Good news, amen? And the truth is this, that we've got to guard. There is good news to the bad news. And I would encourage you to be a, be a living, vibrant witness of good news. Please, as you live every single day in your job and in your family and in different places around your city, um, don't express the good news like you just lost your best friend. I mean, sometimes we're like, oh yeah, I'm a Christian. Yeah, I've been saved from sin. I'm going to heaven. Yeah. Any more questions? <laughs> it's like, no wonder folks aren't really ready to believe the truth. Sometimes we present in a way that seems like, well, yeah, I'll embrace that when I need some, some bad news. Listen, there is bad news, but there's, there's the best news. Jesus Christ, who was all God and yet all man, He died to make things right between God and man. Man, that's great news. That's the truth that we've got to guard. We can't compromise it. We want to be kind and clear. But we don't have the right to to change it or vote on it. It's settled. That's the truth we've been entrusted with. Now, that kind of entrustment demands two things. I want to kind of share these with you briefly. And then I want to... um, just show you in a summarizing way how all this ties into answering the God Church question. Then I'm actually today going to ask for your feedback on some things. That's right. In the normal Q-Zone structure, I take your questions, but today I'm going to ask the questions, and I'll probably have you respond to me on a few items. Now, a lot of you right now are getting nervous. You're packing up your stuff. You're putting on your hat. You're walking out. Don't walk out on me. I won't embarrass you. But I do want to probably call you into some to some discussion. I'll probably ask you to weigh in on some things. And I'll probably start with more of our church leaders since they can be picked on and I'm, I'm pretty safe with them. But I just want to ask you to hang with me. We're going to see a couple of things. We'll summarize it and then I'll ask you to weigh in with some thoughts, okay? 
Here's what this kind of entrustment takes, first of all. There's two things based on this text that I think uh, have to be in place if we're going to guard the trust of the gospel and the truth. The first thing is protective leaders. Protective leaders. You know, Paul here actually gives Timothy the charge, the command to guard what has been entrusted to his care. It's a very personal, singular command here. Now, textually, that's what he says. He says, Timothy, you've got to guard this. I do think you can extend that in an application away and say that as Timothy guarded that, the church as a whole probably would too. His fellow elders would as well. So I don't think it's a situation where the, the church is exempt. But it started with Timothy, their leader. He was to be a protective type of leader and guard the truth. I was thinking about how do you guard something that's intangible? Because you can't really box up truth. You can't package it and say, okay, I've got a fire safe, I'll put it in my basement. Or I've got a safety deposit box, I'll put the truth in there and it'll be fine. I mean, sometimes we don't do real well at protecting things that are valuable, even though we want to. Um, our human ways sometimes are still human. Like the time that my wife and I uh, protected and hid our emergency fund. We went to the Dave Ramsey class several years ago. It was a big help to us. And we set aside this amount of money that we're going to use only in emergencies. And we did have one. And we were thinking how we're going to afford that, what we're going to do. And so we both agreed, you know what? We probably got to pull a couple hundred dollars out of the Mercy Fund. And so I said, well, can you get that? And she goes, I can't find it. I'm like, that's some serious protection. I mean, we can't even get the money we saved. And we looked and we're up in this closet and in this shoebox and under this mattress. She said, honey, it's really secure. I'm like, it is. And then I think we eventually found it. But, you know, sometimes our human ways of, of securing things are almost, they're just still human, aren't they? How do you protect something that's intangible, like truth? I may suggest to you that the best way to guard it, listen very carefully, is to own it inwardly. Now let me be very honest and transparent with you here. We live in a day in which people save everything. They record minutes from every meeting People blog incessantly. We have a number of files. I, I was thinking of the other day at our office. How many paper files we have, and yet we have all these servers to store everything electronically, but it seems like we save duplicates now. We have the e-copy, and we've got the hard copy just in case the server goes out. I don't think we've saved any space or time sometimes. I, I look at this whole situation, and I wonder, man, there's just a lot of information. And I've noticed sometimes that, that in our Christian walk, we have small group studies and and doctrinal classes and theology discussions. We have all these things happening so we can know our faith. But if you ask someone, tell me your core beliefs without any help. You can't check your, your uh, server. You can't go to your files. You can't open a book. Tell me from your heart. What is it you really believe? How many of us would really be able to answer? Now, I'm not saying you've got to pull up every single theological concept from memory. But I will be honest and frank with you here. I wonder sometimes if we're not too dependent upon the cliff notes of theology. And we think we know it when the truth is if we lost every single bit of information we had that was written or preserved and we're on a stranded, we're on a deserted island stranded, would you know what you believe still? Would you? You're like, well, I don't, I don't know what I believe any longer, so I'll just have to. 
Man, the, the best way to, to really protect truth is to, is to own it inwardly. Here's what the psalmist said. Your word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against you. Isn't that interesting? The psalmist knew there could be a day when the actual physical copy of the word wasn't available. When you couldn't be with your church family. When you would not have the, the luxury of perhaps books and resources. He says, so you know what I'll do? To protect me from sinning, I'll hide it where? In my heart. Can I challenge you with something? I know it's not 09 yet, but here's a resolution to make on the heels of, uh, on, the, on the precipice of the new year. Commit to, to learning and knowing God's truth in your heart. Make a commitment to say, I'm going to understand my core beliefs so much so that if I'm just somewhere without any help, I can at least state my core beliefs clearly. I'm going to own them inwardly. You know, that's one of the best ways to protect and guard the truth. That's the kind of leaders it takes in a church. Protective leaders. It also takes something else. Look at this next phrase in the last portion of these last two verses. He says that Timothy was to turn away from godless chatter and from opposing ideas. In other words, Timothy was to not just do something on the positive side, guard, but he was to turn away. He was to avoid a certain type of thing, like empty talking, godless chatter, and things that really weren't truth, but they looked like truth. When, when we don't turn away from those things, watch what happens. The Bible says in verse 21 that if you lay claim to things that aren't truth instead of turning away from them. In other words, if you give a ridiculous talk the time of day instead of just saying, I don't have time to have this conversation. This is just godless chatter. If you, if you give that kind of stuff too much attention, you lay claim to it, what happens is you will wander from the faith. You see, error creeps in little by little. And the more often, the more we try to discuss it and debate it, when it should be a settled issue, the more sometimes we discuss and debate the gospel and the truth, then the error creeps in. And suddenly we can find ourselves actually slipping, wandering from things we years ago we would never have questioned. I think Paul, personally, I think he has in mind two people. Now, I can't prove this textually. But I think he's revisiting in his mind two people who wandered from the faith because they were involved in this kind of godless chatter, meaningless talk, and wives' tales, as he calls them. Look back at 1 Timothy chapter 1 real quickly, would you? The last part of chapter 1. I'm going to show you two people that he talks about. Because he mentions some, some common phrases again about wandering. He says here there were two men, the last part of verse 20. Hymenaeus and Alexander. Instead of holding on to their faith, it says here they, had, uh, they, they shipwrecked their faith. And if you read on later in the subsequent chapters, you'll find that it's these, it's these men who were straying from the truth and they were teaching things that were completely false. What happened to these two men is what Paul talks about in verse 21 of chapter 6. They didn't turn away from meaningless, godless chatter. They entertained things that were ridiculously uh, uh, crazy. And the end result was they wandered from the faith. You see, 
the other element is needed is not just a, a protective leader, but you need a persevering people. Someone who will continue to say, watch this now, will say, no, that's not true, and I'm not going to buy into that, no matter how attractive it may look, or how appealing it may sound, or how nice it may make me feel. It, it's, it's godless chatter, it's empty talk, it goes against the truth of, of the gospel as revealed in Scripture. I'm not going to give it a time of day. And people who will persevere in that type of, of behavior. Not in the mean way where you, where you say, I'm done with you and, and, and you have a non-compassionate spirit. But, but there is a sense in which we don't give error the time to settle in. Are you with me? We don't give it an operating room at all. We've got to be a turn away kind of people. And it starts with those in charge, especially Timothy. He says, Timothy, turn away from those kinds of things. And in doing so, when you turn away, then you don't give it time to settle in, and that prevents wandering. So a persevering kind of people. People that when they know the truth, they settle on that, and then nothing makes them want to quit. You know, I thought about how to describe a persevering kind of person. I mean, if you describe a, a protective person as someone who owns it inwardly, how do you describe a persevering kind of person? I like the phrase, it's the person that nothing makes them quit. You ever notice how easily we quit things? Especially in relationships. I'm amazed at the number of people who have quit on, and I'll use this phrase in this way, watch me, who have quit on God. And probably what they, 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 they may have said, I quit church, or maybe they said they quit this, but... They seem to walk away from things that were really valuable and important. They walk away because of a relational problem. Someone, quote-unquote, offended them. Someone made them mad. And so they just call it quits. They don't really persevere at all. One of the reasons that happens, watch this very carefully, is that they don't love the truth. I've discovered, listen very carefully for family. I've discovered that loving the truth really prevents... Uh, relational issues that make you want to quit. And let me give you a verse to prove this. Psalm 119, 165. One of my favorite verses says this. Great peace have they which love your law, and nothing will make them stumble. Did you catch that? You know why some people stumble? Because they love people more than the truth. So the whole so-and-so over here is upset, so they think, oh, okay, well, well I'll just kind of say no to the truth. I won't really embrace the truth so you won't be unhappy with me. And you know, if we try to make people happy, we're going to be stumbling forever. Are you with me? Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't be kind and considerate and, and embrace uh, true relationships at work, but let's be honest. Sometimes it takes... We quit over the smallest things. And one of the ways around that is to love the truth. To love God's law. When that is our primary thing, we say, you know what? I just want the truth to really, to really matter most. Then we're unoffendable, I call it. If someone's upset with us, it doesn't bother us. We're not going to be mean in return or, or spiteful, but we're just not going to quit. You see, perseverance means you don't quit. I remind you, He, speaking of Christ, didn't quit. Amen. I imagine the road to Calvary was long and hard. Hours of torture. An unfair trial. Nakedness and shame upon the cross. But Jesus didn't quit. Amen. 
And when I think about His endurance and His faithfulness, I pray it will call me to a greater level of faithfulness in my life. To a, I'm not going to quit perspective. That's the kind of perseverance, now watch this guys, that really identifies the family of God. Now, now before you weigh that and think I'm not left field, listen very carefully. If you were to read all the New Testament epistles in one sitting, you would find a common thread. That there was a, a consistent tendency in that first century for, for those new believers to apostatize because of persecution. It was tough. Nero was the ruler. Other people were, were in charge who were making laws and passing things that were made impossible for new believers. And so the way to avoid it all was just to go back to the old pagan way of living. And the book of Hebrews and the book of of 2 Timothy, other places, there is a consistent call. Hey, listen, don't go back. I wonder, in our culture, 2008-2009, if persecution really hit, if it really hit, I wonder how large the church would really be. Now, if that makes you feel funny, good. You might want to feel a little funny about that. Because the true test of believers is what do you do when it gets tough? When wearing the name of Christ costs you something, do you take it off and say, oh, that's not my coat? Or when it really costs, do you still gladly wear the name? Are you with me? You see, guys, there's a perseverance talked about in this passage that is needed from the people of God. That's what it takes to really guard the entrustment. So when your workers at the copier make fun of you because they think you're narrow-minded and you're mean-spirited and, and you must think you have a corner on the truth, you don't say, well, really, I don't believe that. I just thought my church believes that. No. You cling to the faithful word. You don't answer back in a weird way and send them some virus. You don't do that, okay? But you don't give in. You don't cave. We stand firm. We endure. We persevere. We still cling to truth. Even when perhaps that truth costs us something. And be thankful that our forefathers have led the way in this. All eleven of the apostles after Christ's death, were martyred for truth. Even John, who was considered to have been exiled, maybe died of an old age, he was put on this island of Patmos as a, as a sentence to get him out of public's uh, view, to get rid of him. I mean, all 11 of them died. They were martyred. The truth cost them their life, and that continued. Ignatius and Polycarp, just two examples. Men who were brought before the Emperor Trajan and said, hey, Deny the truth. Say it isn't real. One was fed to, to the beast in the stadium and one was burned alive at the stake. And that's just a, two of many martyrs. Who, when it really got tough, they didn't say, oh, by the way, I'll just go ahead and say out loud that I don't really believe, but God knows my heart, I really do believe. I'll just let the Lord figure that out one day in front of Him. I want to save my skin. They said, come what may, we stand on the truth. And when it cost them their life, they didn't give up. They didn't quit. Amen. You see, folks, guarding the entrustment means that we have protective leaders and a preserving kind of people who just 
don't quit. And I call upon you, as one of the elders here and as as a lead pastor of this church, I want to ask you to be a preserving kind of people. I don't want to mince my words here. I don't want to be unclear. I want to ask you to hold to the truth. To stay grounded. To keep your feet firmly planted on what you know the gospel teaches. And don't budge. Remember, strong spine, big smile. Amen? And then let the world see in in the people of First Family, in the church, uh, a group of believers who are guarding what's been passed down for centuries. It's the gospel of Christ. So a set of protective leaders and a group of preserving people. Notice something here. We're going to close with this. Let me summarize this for you. In these last two verses, three things are mentioned that I think really answers the God Church question. And here's what I'll ask you to, to respond to and give some feedback on. So get ready. Ready? Here's how to answer the God Church question. God's truth, God's leaders, and God's people. When those three things combine, when you have those three things present, maybe not all at one time exactly like in the Bible sometimes in the New Testament, uh, God's people prefaced God leaders like on the island of Crete. Uh, Titus was sent to kind of get some leaders appointed. Other times the leaders were in place and the people kind of came. But you never find in the New Testament a church. You never find God's called out people without these three things at some point. It's like this is kind of the goal. This is when you know you've got church. When God's truth, God's people, and God's leaders all come together. That's really church. Guess what's not mentioned there? Uh, the size of your budget. And I'll probably step on some of your cultural sacred cows for a little bit. So, you can pick your feet up if you want to. I'll try to step on them if they're up on the chair or whatever. I'll try to find them if I can. Uh, the size of your budget. What you wear to church. What time your services are. What day of the week you meet on. If you have a building or if you don't have a building. What you drive. How many are in your church. All the things that America says, hey, man, that church has got 2,000. That must be a really good church. Really? According to First Timothy, God's truth and God's leaders and God's people really define what church is. Why don't we quit looking at the stat sheet and instead look at God's truth, God's leaders, and God's people? Are you with me? That's what determines if you've got church. Sometimes people will, will see ground being broken. And man, we want to break ground here. We'd love to. But sometimes you watch other places and their ground being broken. Heard folks say, oh, a new church is going up. Well, that's maybe not true. We don't know it's a church. It's a building going up. It may not house a church. It may. We don't know. Are you with me? The truth is a church is God's truth with God's leaders and God's people. When those things get together, you got church. Now, now give me some feedback on those. Based on, we'll just take a few minutes here. Oh, maybe what you've seen at First Family. Or maybe some things that God has done in your heart through this series. Or perhaps what you've seen in your past. And I don't want him, him to be critical in a bad way towards another institution or a person. But just as you see these things, how has God used His truth or His leaders or the people in your life to really to make a difference? And I'll just grab the mic from Marty here. Okay, good. The mic's up here. Y'all are getting nervous. I know. I'm going to start with Bob McConnell, though. 
I'll probably never make Bob mad. He's unoffendable. <laughs> Bob, see these three things. These three components to church. And Steve, I'm coming to you next. We'll get ready. I respond to that. Give some feedback. Weigh in on how you see these things and how God is using them in your life. Well, thanks, Todd. You're welcome, Bob. <laughs> this, I know is, this is how I like cues on right here. I know how inquisitive your questions can be, so I was nervous that you were going to come to me first. I appreciate that. When I look at God's church with God's truth and His leaders and His people, I see um, a community and a family of the children of God. And what the passages we've been studying lately have been strengthening that with me and how we need to uh, love one another and lift one another up, encourage one another, and help one another in our trials. Amen. Um, Probably more specifically as there was, um, I'll bring a situation uh, thing up this morning where Sherry Davidson called at 6.30 and said that um, her hus- Greg, her husband's dad, is probably going to pass away this morning. And I just felt in my heart just a, a craving to reach out and want to be with her and that family. And I just immediately prayed for him. I think that's what uh, God Church means. Amen. I appreciate that kind of leadership too as one of our elders. When our sheep have needs that uh, this is the kind of church where he noticed who got that call one of our elders Bob it wasn't necessarily had to find the, the pastor and Sherry could have easily called but you know what we have a team of leaders here and she knew you know what Bob will pray for me he's a protective leader and, amen and she felt the family aspect Steve weigh in a little bit you see these three things I know that the God Church title hasn't rung with you real well all the time you've kind of settled in a little better but give us some feedback weigh in a little bit on this all right. Well, as far as the whole got church title, it's sort of a, I don't know, it's hard to just kind of, well, church could mean anything. So I, I, I was a little critical of it at first, but I'm starting to understand what Todd's meaning by it all. But I mean, basically how this kind of makes sense to me is um, after being in some different churches and seeing how um, it's almost like it's a club, kind of. Mm. And uh, one thing that I really appreciate about, appreciate about this church is just the way that um, everything is real organized. Like, it's all broken up into small groups and stuff like that and it's not just like we have our small group it's like we have our own elder over us and it's so, there's a sort of organizational scheme and it's like you know I, I really feel like people are actually watching out for me there are people like under God's leadership who are actually looking out for God's people and I would say that this is a church that's really interested in God's truth so I mean it just makes sense to me that it's all right there Amen and the reason I picked on Steve was because at the beginning of our series uh, Steve's conversation with me was helpful in me helping to define what I meant by the word church because he was right. You say got church is a serious title and some folks hear it as you got organization, you got religion. And our goal was to kind of tease people a little bit to say, you know what, do you really have a family around you that's spiritually rooted in truth, that's connected to God through Christ, and that's led by humble leaders. Does that make sense? So I appreciate you're just all along the way asking me good questions and I'm glad you waited on that. He's right. There's a there are leaders here who do oversee people. I'm going to go one more person on this side, just kind of weigh the room now. All of you can relax. I'm going to keep going to the back. Don't worry. And uh, she might want to say, you want to say something there? I see that. I don't belong here. I mean, I, I'm from Arizona. But to me, you're on the right path. That's nothing missing, nothing broken. It's whole. Amen. Thank you, President Vigil. Bill, weigh in. You're a lighthouse leader. And uh, weigh in a little bit. You see these three things? Your Lighthouse has had some incredible stories of, of God's power in the past year or so. 
I mean, how, how, when you see this, how do you think about the word church when God's in your own situation right now? And welcome to the world of surprise. Well, just uh, seeing those and sitting through this whole study of First Timothy, um, it's been exciting to watch that because before I came here, I wasn't really a big small group type of person. Um, I've been involved in small groups before, but I always had the mindset of, oh, I get everything I need from being at church, you know, and I, I always had other things to do, so small groups didn't fit in my week. And when I came here, I just felt really led to start a small group in, in the lighthouse and uh, lead it. And I've learned through that is stepping out of my comfort zone. God has really blessed me with everybody that's in our small group. We've just come as tight of a family as we are at the church. And what's really cool is it's not just our small group, but when we come here to the church, that family is spread out with everybody else at the church because we know everybody. And it's that same atmosphere Mm -hmm. at church as well as small group. You know, God took your definition of church, which was Sunday at 1030. And he blew it up, didn't he? <laughs> he took that thing and said, Hey, Bill, let's have church on what night? Thursdays? Tuesdays. What time? 6.30. See, God does that. Sometimes he, he sees how we look at things, our paradigm. He says, let me blow that up for you. And he taught us that church is really not just a certain time and a certain place, but it's when his, his people, his leaders, and his truth welcome to church. You know, that's, when I look at you guys, uh, I want you to know I, I see church. I see an incredibly humble group of people who are willingly submissive to the leaders God has brought to First Family. And that's not an easy thing. Thank you for your humble followership. Um, I don't ever get grief from you guys. You know, our elders, we don't get beef. No one's always, you know, buzzing us. I mean, you guys understand uh, our role. And I think in turn, we want to serve you humbly. And our, I think together, all of us are, are after just to make sure that we preserve and protect and guard the truth. And it's that that's probably attracting people from all over this area and even the metro area. People are hungry for clarity, for clear truth. And I just want to thank you for being such a wonderful example of church biblically. Amen. Not a building or a facility or some kind of religion, but the body of Christ. People, faces. And I can say with, with humility and with gratitude. And First Family is a bunch of people who've got church. And it's an honor for me to, to lead you in that effort. Why don't we this week commit to guarding that for another seven days, shall we? Our job isn't done, is it, church? We don't get to sign off the clock or, or be done. We've got another week in front of us. What do you say we sign on for being the church and guarding the truth, being vocal and verbal in a nice way, and then turning away from things that will lead us astray. And in doing so, we won't wander, but we'll cling to the Word. We'll be true and faithful. And we'll be guarding this entrustment that is so valuable and, and worthwhile. Let's pray first, family.